0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Aghyeh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia.
1: Lessons
0: in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: Page 106, the bottom of page 106. So he defined... What holiness, the definition for holiness, holiness is anything that is conscious, that is connected with its divine energy, divine core and essence, which is the divine energy that's creating it. Any physical object or any physical human event, experience is connected with its inner, it's connected to the fruit, it's connected to the inner, to its divine essence, which is the divine energy, that is holy. That is the the definition of holiness. Anything that's nullified before Hashem, anything that feels connected with Hashem, anything that feels plugged in and feels that without the divine, constant divine energy would cease to exist. When you sense that your entire existence is constantly dependent on Hashem, and you feel connected to Hashem, just like light, energy, is connected to its source, the source of light, or electricity is connected to its generator. It can't be disconnected. It's not independent. You can't disconnect the electricity from its, from its generator. The moment it's disconnected, it ceases to exist. It has to constantly be connected to its source. So any object that exists, that senses, that it's like light, it's like energy, it's constantly connected to its source. It's totally dependent on its source. And the moment it disconnects, it ceases to exist like an angel in heaven. That's what makes an angel holy. An angel is a pure energy that's connected to its source and senses its source a fish that's swallowed up in water and it's life source and therefore it's holy and in this world which is defined by ego by self-preservation which is the driving force for everything that exists in this world the exception is and the anomaly is the jewish people the jewish people have a jewish soul that's what makes us jewish what makes the Jewish soul? The Jewish soul has the ability to self sacrifice itself, has the ability to nullify itself before Hashem, has that connection deep down, whether we're conscious of it or not. And therefore, because we have that connection, we have that ability, at least the potential to nullify ourselves, that potential to rise above our ego. That's why, and that's why we see in moments of truth, as we see today, in moments of truth, the unity. The core unity amongst Jews emerges. The unity that's there all along. Because everything in this world is defined by ego. Every ego is a world for itself. There's no real connection between two egos. We can join forces to serve a common purpose. People traveling on a boat together. Each one has its own purpose. Everyone traveling in that boat has its own destination. Why he wants to get to the other side. Everyone has their own journey, their own purpose. But while they're together, they need each other, so they join forces and they help each other to cross the river, cross the ocean. So it's a temporary unity. It's an external unity. It's not an essential unity. The concept of community is unique to the Jewish people. The genuine concept of community. The genuine concept of a minion. A minion, you have ten goyim, you don't have a minion. You have ten yidin, you have a minion. Because the concept of community only exists amongst Jews. Genuine concept of community. That at the very core, at the very essence, we're all one, we're all connected. Because the essence of a Jew is not ego. We're not ego-centered. The essence of a Jew is God-centered. We're plugged in, we're connected. We feel that we're constantly connected to our divine, to our life source. And without the divine life source, we cease to exist. With every fiber of our being and every bone in our body. At least potentially. We have the pilot, we have the spark. Even if we're not consciously aware or in touch or connected But it's there. The spark is there, the holy spark is there. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. The non-Jew recognize it in this instant, in a second, in a moment. Because they know that the Jew is different. What's going on today? They'll treat Israel different. They'll never treat Israel as they would anyone else. One wolf surrounded by se- one sheep surrounded by seventy wolves. They won't give us a break. They don't care. Looking for the moment to pounce on us, to destroy us because they know that there's Israel's the Jew of the world today, the Jew. And we have that potential, we have that holy spark, that essence, pintly, that conscience. And therefore, since we have that holy spark, that's the definition of holiness. What is the definition of, what's the opposite of holiness? Anything that's not holy is automatically the other side, derives its sustenance from the shell which is when the divine energy, everything has a divine spark. Otherwise, it would cease to exist. Everything is truly connected. Everything is really being recreated each and every moment. Everything. Even the arrogant, egotistical I, which is split off, disconnected. The truth is, even that entity is constantly being created and is truly connected. But it's split off. It's disconnected. They don't feel it. They're not aware of it. It's like hidden. It's an exile. And because it's an exile, therefore it's inaccessible. Therefore it derives its sustenance from the shell, which the the spark of holiness is in hiding. So therefore, everything in our life can be divided into two parts. It's holy or it's not holy. What's the, the definition of holy, the category of holiness? Anything that's connected with godliness is holy. Even as we go about our mundane lives, when we eat, and we drink and we sleep and we relax and we talk and we joke but everything that we do we have a divine intent we're eating in order to be healthy in order to serve Hashem to have the strength to serve Hashem we're doing business in order to make money in order to be able to serve Hashem properly which in order to do that you need money give your children a good Jewish education and to to lead a Jewish lifestyle so when a Jew injects A a divine intent in everything that we do, then that is holy. As King Solomon says, in all all your ways, you know God. Whatever you do, you know God. That's the theme. That's the underlying theme. Mind everything a Jew does, from the moment he wakes up till the moment he goes to sleep. Throughout the day, there's one underlying theme that connects every aspect of my life, all the different pieces of my life, and that is everything that I'm doing is motivated by. My feeling of connection and is motivated by shame Shemayim for the sake of heaven but if however a Jew goes about his life and doesn't think about Hashem not necessarily, not, I'm not necessarily indulging, I'm not doing anything wrong I'm eating glat kosher I'm not even indulging, I'm eating healthy I'm dieting, I'm disciplined I'm eating because I'm, I'm hungry I have to live but without injecting a thought for the sake of heaven, for the sake of Hashem then at that moment, that human experience derives its sustenance, not from holiness, but it derives its sustenance from the klipa, from the shell, from the other side. The opposite, the antithesis of holiness. So, so now we can understand, at the bottom of page 106, this is why...
0: That is why this world, with all it contains, is called the world of klipo and Sitra akra, despite the fact that this world, too, receives its vitality from God's holiness. Since the creatures of this physical world feel themselves to be independent, separate beings, and their surrender to godliness is not apparent, they automatically belong to the realm of Klippa. This is also why all affairs of this world are severe and evil, and the wicked prevail in it, as is written in Etz Chaim, In the following note, referring to his previous statement that this is a world of people, the Rebbe writes that this is so notwithstanding the fact that godliness pervades all existence, or, stated in the terminology of the Kabbalah, that God's infinite light clothes itself in the separate of the four worlds, Atsilat, Berea, Yisira, and Asiya. And thereby even this physical world is filled with the ore, Ein Sof. Yet, despite all this, it is still a world of Klikov. To be sure, this world contains the tense affair of the world of Asiya, as is written in, in Ez Portal 43.
1: So he's saying, that explains why this world is called the world of the shell and the other side. Because everything in this world is really a cover-up, it's hidden concealed godliness is hidden truth is hidden and as a consequence this world is a very harsh place it's a world of lies a world of illusions we don't really know what's going on beneath the surface you know even people some people make a very good impression on us but we don't know what's going on behind closed doors they fool us they deceive us People are not what they appear to be, and then we get burnt and we're shocked. Um, we live in a very false world. People sometimes even delude themselves. People don't even know themselves, and then they sur shock themselves, they surprise themselves. You know, we have aspects of ourselves that we take we take ourselves by surprise. You know. So there's so much lurking beneath the surface, there's so much going on beneath the surface. And uh things are not always the way they appear to be. And um, so this world is, you know, we're not going to discuss the world of politics. It's all one big optical illusion and a house of lies and smoke and mirrors. And uh, it's a, an enigma wrapped in, right, what, what the Churchill say? An enigma wrapped in a, a riddle. And that's how people are. That's how, you know, we know what the truth is. We know what the real, what's really going on. Um, so this is a world It could be a very harsh world, a very selfish world very self-centered world, very self-absorbed world. And um, wicked people prosper, liars prosper, people who are genuine, people who are sincere, people who are honest, aren't necessarily, don't necessar- not necessarily the ones who prosper and are successful. Why? Because the world by its very being is already a lie, Is already a distortion, it's already a con because the world presents itself as being independent. It doesn't present itself as being plugged in, as being connected. You look at a tree, you don't see its source, its life source. You don't see the creative energy, the divine energy, the miracle of existence. Each and every moment, the divine energy is creating the tree. There's a modern physicist tell you, matter, what's matter? Matter is a process. At this very moment, the energy is transforming itself into matter. You don't see that. All we see is the end result. It appears solid, it appears independent, it's a con. It's a lie. If, you, if the truth is, this is 99.9% empty. There's nothing here. It's pure energy, it's swirling. But it creates a feeling of solidity, and, and so this whole world is really one big con. Nothing is the way it appears to. But we don't see it. We don't see the truth. It's an illusion. It appears to be. It's a con. Not that it's an illusion. The world is not an illusion, God. But the fact that it presents itself as being independent and the primary force in life is self-preservation and survival of the fittest and a dog-eat-dog world, it's a lie. Nothing could be further than the truth. God is creating this world each and every moment. Nothing exists for a moment without God constantly creating it and willing it into existence. Nothing. There is no independent. There's no independent reality but it appears to be that way. So it's a con. So the world, before it did anything, I say not the world is evil that, that everyone is mass murderers or, you know. The world by its very being, its very core, it's alive. The very Hebrew word for the word olam comes to the word hellem, It's a hidden, concealed, cover-up. So the world by its very being is already a cover-up, a distortion, a shell. It's opaque. It hides its inner, its inner essence, its inner truth. The part that really nourishes the world, the part that really sustains the world, and it gives off the appearance of being, of being, uh, of being independent. And that's why the world is so harsh. Because the world, at it's very, it, the whole underlying assumption of the world is false. The whole premise of the world is false. Therefore, the whole underpinning is false and, and a lie. And therefore, therefore, everything in this world <coughs> so hard, could so many times so harsh, brutish, nasty ugly dark evil prospers lies deceptions pettiness cruelty that's the nature of the world because godliness is hidden the truth is hidden the truth is covered so he says despite the fact that the truth is that god's infinite light god's divine energy is within this world as we speak what sustains time and space and words and concepts? And the very world, our whole frame of reference, the very world that we live in and function, operate, is the divine energy. But Nevertheless, this divine energy is totally concealed. It's an exile, hidden. It's covered up. You don't perceive it. You don't sense it. And therefore, the, although the truth is that everything is divine, that divine energy permeates everything, The divine infinite light permeates everything. But nevertheless, it's totally hidden and concealed. And that's what he explains in, uh, in Kabbalistic terms, the note. To okay. be sure, this world contains the ten spherot of the world of Asiya, as is written in Eitzchayim. Just like we have a physical world, we also have a parallel world, a spiritual world. The world of Asiya comprises both our physical world and the spiritual world of Asiya. Just like you have a body and a soul, m- which match, so too you have the physical world that we live in, and you also have a spiritual world that's parallel to the physical world. It's called the spiritual world of Asiya, of action. So the sphirot, which are the divine emanations of the spiritual Asiya, are, however, contained in the physical Asiya as well. Now, within these ten spherot of Asiya, are contained the ten spherot of the world of Yetzirah, the higher world, the spiritual realm. And within them, the ten spherot of the world of Berea, the higher realm, the world of the garden, the higher level of the Garden of Eden, the world of the higher angels. And in them, the ten spherot of the world of Atzilut, in which abides the Orin Saf. Thus, the Ur Saf, the infinite light, pervades this entire lowest world by being clothed in the ten spirit of the four worlds: Atzilut, Beriah, Yetzira, and asiyah. So, within the four worlds—the world of emanation, and the world of creation, and the world of formation, and the and the lowest world, the world of action—you have the infinite light encloses itself in the world of emanation and via the ten sfirot of the world of emanation, those ten sfirot are within the world of creation, and those whose ten sfirot are express themselves in the world of formation, whose ten sfirot express themselves in the world of, of action, which means that the infinite light, thus, the Arinsav, pervades this entire lowest world by being clothed in the tense we wrote of the four worlds so although the infinite light is found in everything in this world this world is permeated by the infinite light but nevertheless since the world doesn't surrender itself to the infinite light it doesn't nullify itself to the infinite light it's totally egotistical and self-conscious and is motivated by self-preservation and doesn't even sense Infinite light. It doesn't connect with the infinite light. And it's independent. Therefore, it's, uh, it's a world of Kalipa and Sitra Akhra, the world of a shell and the other side. Now, let's skip to the bottom of page 108. However,
0: however, the Kalipot are divided into two categories, one lower than the other. The lower category consists of three completely unclean and evil Kalipots containing no good whatever. In the prophet Ezekiel's vision of the divine chariot in which he saw and described the forces that conceal godliness, they are described as a storm wind, a great cloud, and a flaring fire, representing these three holy, unclean pleat From them flow and are derived the souls of all the nations of the world, and the sustaining force of their bodies which sustains their existence Apart from the soul which animates them. Also, derived from these clippot are the souls of all living creatures that are unclean and forbidden to be eaten, and the sustaining force of their bodies. The existence and life of all forbidden vegetation, too, such as orla, first three years fruit of a tree, and a mixture of grain seeds in a, in a vineyard and so forth, are derived from these klippos, as written in
1: We know that the world is divided into four categories of life, right? There's inanimate, uh, vegetable life, organic life, animal life, and human life. So he starts out with human. He says the souls, the Gentile souls, and the sustaining force, their life force, and the souls of all living creatures that are not kosher and the sustaining force, their life force. And then he goes to the organic life, the existence and life of all forbidden vegetation, such as the first three years, fruit of a tree which is forbidden, a mixture of grain and a vineyard. He uses, he brings analogies of the first three categories, but it doesn't bring any analogies of earth. Of inorganic life, something that's forbidden, and the reason is because there is nothing inorganic that's not kosher. There's no salt is kosher. There's nothing inorganic that's not kosher. Within vegetable life, organic life, some is kosher, some isn't, as the examples he just quoted. First three years is forbidden, even though in general all fruits are kosher, but the first three years is forbidden. A mixture is forbidden in Israel fruits that are not tithed, when you go to the store you need a heksher to make sure that the fruits are kosher, that they were tithed properly otherwise it's forbidden Uh, animals, you have non-kosher food and you have kosher food kosher animals but when it comes to earth, inorganic there is nothing that's not kosher and again the reason for that is because earth is a symbol of humility you step on earth earth is the most humble that's why earth is the essence of everything when you burn something what remains at the end of the day which part is indestructible when you burn something the fire everything contains four elements earth gas wind liquid water and fire energy so the fire the energy contained in the object leaves with the fire there's a smoke wind gas and there's moistness the smoke has a moistness that's the liquid that's contained in the object what remains? the ash the earth that's indestructible that's why the Jewish people are compared to earth the Jews are indestructible everyone everyone steps on the the earth but the earth is the most humble and the earth is the most enduring and the earth is indestructible so that's the nature. The nature of earth is everyone steps on earth. It's humility. King David says, "I'm." Abraham says, I'm like dust and ashes. And that's why it's a sign of holiness. What's the sign of holiness? Like dust and ashes. Humility. There's no ego. When there's no ego, that's, that's a connection. That's the connection to Hashem. So therefore, since earth has that quality of humility therefore there's nothing in earth that, that's not kosher because the godly energy that sustains the earth is, is revealed there's no concealment there's no cover up but anything else that feels independent split off disconnected that becomes disconnected that's a shell that's a cover up that's a con and therefore you can have a vegetable that's not kosher of course within vegetable life it's much less you have very f- less examples of things that are not kosher animal life. Most animals are not kosher. Because it's a higher form of life, a higher form of self-preservation, of ego, of I. And therefore, that's why you have predatory animals, animals that have negative tendencies that are totally the opposite, the antithesis of the divine energy, their own divine energy, that's creating them and sustaining them, which is divine and refined. And and that's why it's not kosher. You find so many more examples of animals that are are not kosher. And then, of course, as you go higher and higher, you find even less. The Jewish people are 0.02% of the world population. We receive their sustenance from from holiness. While the ego, that's the motivation for every human being. That's a healthy ego. That's the way God created human beings. And that, that derives a sustenance from the shell, where the godly truth is hidden and concealed. There's a disconnect, it's like blinders. They don't see, they don't make the connection from their own being and their own existence to the being and the, uh, the essence of God. Their being obstructs and hides and conceals. You know, all it takes to black out reality is, is your little finger. Close your eyes, I mean, put your finger in front of your eyes and you don't see. All it takes to black reality is your ego, your self, self-interest and suddenly you don't see. And that's why God created human beings. There's nothing wrong with them. That's why God created. Them. That's natural. That's normal. God created human beings to be egotistical, to be ego-driven. And therefore, that blinds and disconnects from everything. That they're totally disconnected from any sense of source, from, from their own vital source, their own vital core. And that's why they, de- they derive their sustenance. Now, he says that within this category, you have three kalipot, which are completely unclean and evil. Completely egotistical. They have no good whatever. There's no selflessness. There's no genuine selflessness and goodness. Everything is motivated by self-interest. What am I going to gain? Just like all governments are motivated by one thing and one thing only. Self-interest. Pure self-interest. There's no higher idealism. There's no higher ideology. It's pure business. Pure self-interest. That's the way most people operate. That's, that, that's, that's what the, the drive and motivation for most people. The most things that happen in this world, business, family, self, community, country, it's all self-interest, pure business, self-interest. And nevertheless, there are three categories. As he quotes from Ezekiel, the stormwind, Great cloud and a flaring fire. What are are these three categories? He doesn't go into the specifics. But in general, we find that there are three levels of Khalipa. And we find it in the Torah. We find the example of Bilam, the prophet, the greatest non Jewish prophet that ever lived, the equal of Moses, Bilam says, I cannot deny God. He acknowledged God. He worshiped God. And he tells Balak, whatever God tells me, I must do. If God orders me and commands me, I cannot disobey. I must obey. But he was evil. He was an evil prophet. He was egotistical. He was motivated by money, power, fame. That That was his driving force. He had an evil eye, and um, but, but he acknowledge God. So that's one level of klipa. You acknowledge God as the primary cause, as the primary mover and shaker, and the primary cause. But God is something and I'm also something. God is something and He created the something. And I am something because I'm I, I acknowledge God. If God is great, that makes me also great. I'm created the image of God. God is something, I'm also something. Something from something. So this is the first level of Klippa. You acknowledge God, but you are something and God is something. The fact that you are something, that is already idolatry. That is already a distortion, a carnal The truth is we're nothing. We're totally dependent on God. Like the light, which is totally dependent on the source. We have no other reality, no other existence other than God. Our very being, our very essence is just the divine energy. That's all we are. So the fact that you think that you're something and you're motivated by ego and self-preservation and fame and money and power, it's already a con, it's already a distortion, it's already a disconnect. It's a lie. It's idolatry. What people call religion, it's ego motivated. What is religion? You acknowledge that God is the big boss, the primary mover and shaker. That's the philosophical understanding of God. And therefore, God is more powerful than me. As Bilaam says, if God orders me, God is the first cause. I'm the effect. The effect has to respect the first cause and have to obey and submit myself to the first cause. But it's cause and effect. God is the first cause and I'm the effect. It means I'm also something. The effect is also, has value. Is independent. Is an entity. An important entity. Created the image of God. I'm a semi-God. God is the big God, and I'm the small God. So that's idolatry. That's already evil. That's already ego. So what most people call religion is really ego. And it's, it comes from the other side. So this is the first level of klip, of the three klipot, which are totally, he calls absolute evil, containing no good, whatever, meaning it's totally egotistically motivated and driven. Then there's another example of evil. And that we find in the Bible, Sanjarev. Sanjarev cursed God, challenged God. This is already the person who denies God, rebelling against God, denying God. And then the third level is King Pharaoh. King Pharaoh said, Who is God? I don't acknowledge God. I don't know who God is. I'm not for him. I'm not against him. He's simply not in the picture. He's not in the equation. He's irrelevant. Which one do you think is worse? Sanjarev, who's openly, brazenly fighting God, humiliating God, insulting God, battling God? Or Paro says, I'm not for, I'm not against, I'm indifferent. What do I care? What does God, God has nothing to do with any. Which do you think is worse? From these three levels, the highest level is Bilam the religious philosophical position. God is God, the big God. He's the God of all gods and I'm a miniature God. I am something and he's the big something. So the, big, the small something will submit to the big to the big something. But I am something. Okay? That's the, the highest of the three. But between the other two levels, which do you think is worse? What do you think? I think Pharaoh. Oh, oh, Who? Oh, Pharaoh? I think... is it, worse. I think okay. Sanherah is worse. You say Sanherah is worse. You say Pharaoh. Okay. Pharaoh's worse. Because the one who's against, the one who's against, at least he's affected by God. Someone who's denying God inadvertently is, is acknowledging God. He's so affected by God that he has to deny Him. God gets into his bones. He gets into his kishkish. And he has to fight Him. And he has to deny Him. And he has to... Pharaoh is so egotistical. He's so self-centered, so self-absorbed. God, as a scientist, say, what does God have to do with anything? Well, he's, not, he's not part of the equation. But for or against what difference does it make? Uh, that, in other words, the, the, you know, we think that we live in a very enlightened age. In the olden days, people worshipped idols. But we live in a very enlightened age, on the contrary. When people worshiped idols, at least they worshiped. At least they believed. They had ideology. They believed in something, something greater than themselves. So they, they worship the wrong God. When you worship the wrong ideology, you can wake up one day and realize your mistake, but at least you're honest. Today, when people worship themselves, and in God we trust, I am God and my mind is God and I am the ultimate authority and arbiter and I'll decide and I'll create my own reality and I'll decide what's right and wrong that's the worst when you create when you are God you're not denying God what do I care God is irrelevant It means you're so self-centered you're so self-absorbed you can't even see beyond your own nose Your, your view is so blocked you can't even see anything above yourself It's the closing of the mind, the total shutdown of the mind, total blindness to anything higher than myself, anything greater than myself, to any truth, even acknowledging that there is a truth. Until you reach the conclusion, I believe there is no truth. There is no ideology and there is no truth and there is no point and just live and let live and nothing matters. Just live for the moment and nothing matters. This is the worst. Spiritually, this is the most oppressive. This is the darkest. This is the deepest darkness. This is Amalek. This is, this is the worst. So, Paro, who says, I don't know God. I'm not, I don't care. It means nothing to me. I'm not for, I'm not again. That's the worst. That's the hardest to break. Indifference. Someone is fighting, okay? Because you're affected. You're touched. You care. Indifference, you can't, you can't deal with indifference. It's like in marriage. As long as there's this friction, it's good. This is because that means there's love. But once you reach a point where indifference, it's all over. And it's finished. There's nothing you can do. There's not nothing to work with. So these are the three, the three levels, the three Klippa. The first level is religion, philosophy. I acknowledge God. God is the Almighty. God is the supreme being. God is the first cause. But I'm also God. I'm also. Of course, I must admit, but I am independent. Then they have the next level. The next level is you fight God, you deny God. So you're totally egotistical, brazen, chutzpadik, but at least God affects you. In a negative way, but he affects you. You take God seriously. God is real to you. And the third level, the lowest level is, you're so self-absorbed, you're so self-centered, you're so blinded, you're so clueless that there's nothing exists besides me. And you're so shallow and so superficial that it's frightening. That's the ultimate khalippah. That's the total disconnect. That's the shallowest, that's spiritually, that spells spiritual death. That's oppressive. That's intolerable. A person can't live without ideology, without a belief in something greater than yourself, without a belief in truth, a truth that you're ready to sacrifice your life for, a truth that you believe with every fiber of your being, and every bone in your body, a truth that means something to you, that gives meaning to your life. If life is nothing more than me, myself, and I, that's the saddest place in the world to be. That's the most most tragic, empty, nihilistic, meaningless place to be. That's the education that most people are exposed to today. The elite universities, the best education that money can buy today. Total nihilism, emptiness, meaninglessness. Just about getting ahead and just about success and just about getting in the paper. Morals, ethics, right and wrong, truth, reality, genuineness. Means nothing. You have leaders that have to take polls to know to know what they think. Conviction means nothing. Positions mean nothing. Principles mean nothing. It's just a game. Life is just a, a cartoon. Empty, meaningless exercise. And uh, that's the saddest clip. That's really the saddest clip. That's really the bottom of the barrel. That's the drag. That's the lowest of the low. That's where we are, that's where we are at, at this moment in history. Right before the coming of Mashiach, you know we've hit bottom. And you know that uh, the wheel can't go any lower next no matter which direction it turns now it can only turn up because this is the this is the lowest clip so he says this is the clip is what sustains sustains uh, all the unclean and that contain no good whatsoever you can't find anything good there's no redeeming factor it's pure ego purely egotistical and then similarly
0: Generally, the existence and life of any act, utterance or thought in violation of any one of the 365 biblical prohibitions, as well as their rabbinic offshoots, are all derived from these three impure clipo, as it is written there, end of chapter 5.
1: So he's saying, and this is the conclusion of the chapter, just like we learned in the previous chapter, chapter 4, in the godly soul. That the divine soul, with all its faculties, are holy. Its very being is holy, and its faculties and expressions. But nevertheless, when you do a mitzvah, the mitzvah catapults the soul to a level of holiness that the soul could never experience on its own, because the actual garments, the mitzvah itself, is divine. So when the soul is is um, when the soul is activated by thinking words of Torah and by speaking words of Torah and by doing the mitzvah, the soul, by being clothed in the mitzvah and the deed and the divine act is elevated and touches and connects with the divine. So he says, so too, in the parallel, because everything that exists in holiness has a parallel reality in the opposite and the other side. So just like it's true in the divine soul, that's also true in the animal soul that animates us that its very being is already the other side, because its very being is ego, is I, self pre- self-preservation. self And also its faculties, what are, our motivation is instant gratification, our motivation is self-preservation, our motivation is um, ego and I, the faculties of the animal soul, which is its emotions and its intellect, which it tries to figure out how to achieve its, its passions and how to accomplish and realize its desires and goals. And nevertheless, when the animal soul is actually activated through the garments, when we actually think and speak and act, um, and act, Mm -hmm. act the klipa, then actually the soul, it brings a level of impurity to the soul and it schleps the soul down and brings the soul down And it contaminates the soul, much more so than the contamination that that soul has on its own, being egotistical. Why? Because the soul itself is of the higher level of klipa, the klipa that's a little illuminated, the fourth level of klipa, not from the three shells, but the shell that's like a little see-through, that has a little good, because Jewish nature has goodness to it. Even by nature, we're kind and compassionate. But the klipa, when we do something wrong, when we do something that's prohibited, when we actually indulge and activate our soul powers and faculties by thinking something wrong and speaking something wrong and doing doing something that's prohibited, it schleps the soul down and degrades the soul and contaminates the soul and schleps the soul down from the highest level of klipa, the illuminated klipa, to the three, uh, negative clip the three absolute clippers which are absolutely evil. And it's even possible that even when the soul, when the animal soul, indulges in something that's permissible, doesn't do anything, doesn't violate any prohibition, doesn't do anything that's wrong, but indulges in something that's permissible, but just does it without any higher intent, for the sake of heaven, for the sake of Hashem, that experience also coarsens the soul even more so than the coarseness of the soul on its own right. Because the soul, the animal soul, the the life soul within us that sustains us, the blood, the passion, the thrill-seeking, the part within us that wants to live just for the sake of living. As coarse as it is, when we actually um, act when our soul is activated and we actually think and speak and act and go about our daily business but without injecting a holy thought, a holy intention, we coarsen in our soul even more so. It degrades our soul, our animal soul, even more than it is degraded, so to speak, on its own, its very being, its very essence. That's the power of the actions, our actions and our thought and our speech. Just like within holiness, the power of action, the deed of the actual thought and speech and action, which is even more profound than the soul itself, it can elevate the soul to a place that the soul can never reach, so too, when the garments activate the faculties within the animal soul, and we actually think and speak and go about our daily life, it degrades the soul. It leads the soul to a level of degradation that the soul, even more so than the soul, um, the soul, the level of the soul on its own, left left on its own. Um, it's, as he said earlier, that when a person goes about, this is the Zohar. He quoted the Zohar. The person goes about our daily life, just living and existing, continuing our existence without any higher, holier thought, it's, it's painful for the soul. It actually, it's, um, it's, um, it's harmful to the soul. It's degrading. It's degrading to the soul. The exact language he uses it, it's affliction of the spirit, ruination of the spirit. The holy soul feels that degradation. Because any act that we do without without injecting a holy thought is already a degrading act. I didn't do anything immoral. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just going about my daily life. I didn't even indulge. I'm acting and living like a healthy ego. I'm disciplined. I'm leading a wholesome life. But there's no thought of God. There's no godly thought. If it's divorced and disconnected from Hashem, it's already a ruination of the spirit. It's already a degrading event. It's already a con, a lie, a shell, a distortion, a cover-up. And it's an affliction of the soul. That's where the Jew is coming from. That's our definition of evil. There's no, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible translation. Because there's no word in any language to describe this. When we talk of evil, we, we think of Hitler. We think of mass murder, of rape, of theft, harming a person. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a concept that doesn't exist in any language of the world. We take a, a religious person, we take a healthy ego, and we refer to it as evil. We take a tree that just exists and we refer to it as evil. So when you tell me what we mean that a tree is evil, I'll tell you what it means when we say that the, the, the souls of the Gentiles are evil. It makes you, it's enough to make you cry because there's no translation. You don't know what I'm talking about. And this is where all the blood libels began that the Jewish people look down at Goyim and they call them evil. It's ridiculous. We don't try to proselytize. We have respect for non-Jews. We believe every non-Jew is great in the image of God. We're talking about a concept, such a delicate concept, a revolutionary concept of good. What is the definition of good? Our definition of holiness and goodness is total nullification before God. When God is front and middle and center, and there's no other reality but God, and everything is its entire being, entire essence is totally connected to God. When a Jew injects in every aspect, in every moment of his day, in every aspect of his life, he's constantly thinking about, I'm doing this for the sake of heaven. So, a Jew makes a blessing. Everything that he does is constantly making baruch, he's constantly making blessings, constantly bringing Hashem into everything. This is our definition of good. Anything that's not is automatically the other side, is already degrading. Disconnected, split off, and a degrading experience, ruination of the spirit. This is a purely Jewish concept. We're talking about very fine and delicate concepts.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com